0: listening to Open Mic Friday's Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and an Open Mic Friday means you can take over the mic in asking any theological question on your mind, and the numbers to phone in St. Louis, 821-0850, and toll free, 800-730-2727. That's one eight hundred seven three o two seven two seven. I'm not promising I can answer any theological question on your mind. I'm not omniscient, and I don't have the Bible memorized and By the way, even if a person has the Bible memorized, it doesn't mean that he's explaining a Bible verse properly. A number of the scribes in Jesus day. They had the Bible memorize the Old Testament, and yet they totally missed the import of the Messiah and the importance of Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of that Messiah. Now, we talked about a number of items this week. We spoke about the hymn, Thy Strong Word by Martin Franzman. And then on Wednesday, we took a look at Proverbs 10, which I like to interpret from a law gospel point of view. And yesterday with Wes Reimnitz, we examined the bondage of the will in specifically talking about what does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So, if you're all interested in any of those subjects or anything else you might have on your mind. Uh, For example, you may have been reading the Bible and something was confusing about it. Well, don't hesitate to call about that, and we'll do the best we can in attempting to help you understand that. Okie doke. I think we're about ready to go to the uh, phone line, and let's see hi this is pastor baker uh is this alan let me see have i got are you go ahead alan you You're have on... james. oh james
1: you have james
0: pastor okay yes uh i okay. i see yes i'm ready well i'm not ready All for right. you but go ahead
1: <laughs> okay pastor well, we wanted to call in early today because we have two questions and one scriptural application.
0: Excellent.
1: Okay. So our first question is, is duplicity a Christian trait, and can a Christian be duplicitous? That's the first question. Is is duplicity a Christian trait, Okay. And can a Christian be duplicitous? The second question is, is being a saint and center at the same time a duplicity state. And our scripture application is we want you to help us understand and glean application from John chapter one, verses forty six and forty seven. righty. Good to hear now and we'll hang up and listen to you. Well before you hang oh, up you wanna,
0: Yes. Um yeah. I want to know your definition of duplicitous, because that helps me decide what the answer is. So when you hear the word duplicitous, what does that mean to you?
1: Uh, What does it mean to me? Yes. I don't have a dictionary before me, but I would think it would mean uh, double-mindedness or something crafty. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well,
0: taking that definition, I'll be glad to answer your question, okay?
1: Thank you so very much, Pat.
0: All right. Thanks, James. All righty. Duplicitous, if we talk about it as being double-minded or crafty, that's already a negative. And you see, duplicitous means, it's coming from the original word, two things that you have two things on your mind. Uh, For example, one could say, well, let's see, I wanna go grocery shopping, I don't know whether I should go to Deerberg's or Schnook's, two grocery stores. Well, that could be kinda duplicitous in the sense that you are double-minded and you haven't quite made up your mind. That would not be a problem. But if being duplicitous means to be crafty, Uh, Paul has a very interesting statement where he talks about that when he came to the churches, he did not come in eloquence or wisdom of speech. And you wonder, why would he say that? Don't you want to be as eloquent as possible? Don't you want to be as persuasive as possible? But when you take a look at those original meanings in the Greek. The term eloquence and persuasion have really the meaning that you're doing it to manipulate somebody's feelings in order to get them on your side. Uh, Politicians do this all the time. Uh, Can can you imagine you're going into a community and you want to be elected and they're having a, a terrible time with taxes, student loans, etc. And the politician says, well, we need to raise taxes higher in, in order that we'll be able to fix streets, etc. Plus, student loans, that's a great deal. And we're going to put a higher percentage on what you owe back in, in order that other students may be able to get the loans. I don't think that person will be elected. A politician in that kind of situation will come in and say, we're gonna reduce taxes so you can keep more of your money, build your business up larger, and those of you who are really overwhelmed with your student loans, we're gonna find a way to kind of cancel them or reduce them so you can manage them. Now, there's a politician who's crafty in the sense that he's talking to people, meeting what he thinks are their needs. And when you do that, then you're giving an opinion that's quite eloquent. People will walk away and say, I really like what he had to say. He was quite eloquent. When reality, he was just working on your emotions, trying to get you to what? Elect him. So he had a self-interest reason. So, can a Christian be duplicitous in, say, witnessing? No. Because if you were duplicitous in witnessing, you would be making promises that God doesn't make. And you hear them often on evangelical radio. You hear these Uh, Good-looking preachers with good-looking wives and a good-looking house and a good-looking car say, all you need to do in order to be successful like I am is to obey the Word of God. And they'll give you all kinds of ways in which you need to obey the Word of God. And part of that obedience would also be sending money to that particular uh, preacher so that maybe he can uh, pray for you. Uh, I know one preacher told him, send us a pillow and we'll bless the pillow and that will help you. These are promises that people jump at. That, that, that's why talking about a person without speaking the law is really duplicitous because you're giving them good news to their lives, but they're not really hearing why they need that good news. So there's no promise from God. Uh, Blessed are those who are believers because they'll never be persecuted. Uh, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit because it really doesn't matter how sinful you are or how little you have to give to God. No, you don't hear those blessings. You hear instead, blessed are you, for you will be persecuted for my name's sake. So being duplicitous, when I hear that word, I think that would be the old Adam coming up and saying things in such a way that it is for your self-interest. In a sense, There are methods that are duplicitous. For example, if you, every time I go to the doctors, I always pick up a magazine. And every now and then there was one about relationships. And if you want a relationship with a person of the opposite sex, if you take that person out on a date, make sure you go to a restaurant that they like, uh, to a movie that they enjoy even if you don't enjoy it because you're trying to get them to like you. That would be duplicitous in that you're not being honest with them, but you're manipulating their feelings. Now, James also mentioned to look at John chapter 1 verse 46 and 47. So let's read that. This is right after... Jesus is called Philip. He uh, says, follow me. Now, Philip, this is verse 44, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, How did he come to the conclusion that this is the Christ, the one about who is written in the Old Testament? Well, remember, John the Baptizer is with his disciples, and I'm sure Andrew was one of them. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. And it says the disciples followed Jesus, and they stayed with him all day from about 10 in the morning till evening, talking to him and hearing from him. And that's how they came to the decision. You know, he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, Daniel, I'm sorry, yes, Daniel tells this to Nathaniel, And Nathaniel says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, we often will say that about certain areas of the city. If you live in Chicago, very few people want to take a tour of the south side. Uh, Here in St. Louis, I drive Uber, and I'm always cautioned if I go in the north side because there are a number of shootings there. And every day you can pick up the post-disgrace and you'll find, again, more murders done. And a lot of times they occur on the north side of St. Louis. Or there's are cities that have a bad reputation, like East St. Louis. This is not an area where you really want to go at night. So the point that I'm making is Nathaniel doesn't consider Nazareth to be that important a city. Can anything good come out of it? And Philip says, come and see. It's kind of like you're witnessing about Jesus. Well, can anything good come from a person who's crucified? Well, come and hear. And Jesus sees Nathaniel. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, when Jesus says there is no deceit, this clearly is referring to the reputation of Nathanael. There are a lot of unbelievers that have no deceit in the minds of others. They're honest business people. You hire them maybe to fix your roof. They not only do a very good job, get the best of materials, they don't charge you that much, and they do a wonderful cleanup. Well, there's a person that you're going to advise others to go to in order to buy your roof. There's no deceit. And of course, Jesus knew that about Nathaniel that he had that kind of a good reputation. That's also spoken about in regard to Job. At the beginning of the book of Job, he he was a man of great reputation and uh, also of other people in the scripture. So deceit would be some, something <clears throat> negative, duplicitous. And in that case, that would be a negative thing that Nathaniel would not have wanted to hear that he was deceitful. I hope that answers your question, James. And uh, anyone can phone at 1-800-730-2727. Okay, well, we're ready to go to the next person, and that is, uh, let me get him on here. Hi, Mark, you're on the air hello
2: oh this is cheryl
0: oh i'm sorry uh
2: but my husband's name is mark
0: okay mark was up on the board so that's why okay
2: i i'm we're day sponsors so maybe they have my husband's name
0: okay that's fine
2: (laughs) okay okay mike uh you've been speaking about epiphany yes and um i was looking at titus three Starting at verse 2, and it reads like, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That to me sounds like epiphany, and I I just wanted your comment on that, and I'll hang up.
0: Okay, thank you very much for calling. Yeah, that's the kind of verse that we really like hearing about because uh, Paul is writing to Titus. Uh, This was another disciple like Timothy was, and he talks about that, you know, Verse 3, we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, that was Saul. Remember when he was out trying to kill Christians, persecuting them. And then he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now, that was on that road to Damascus for Saul, who became Paul. He saved us, verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. See, Paul had a great reputation among unbelievers because he was persecuting the christians they thought that those were great works of righteousness but paul says no i was not doing works done by righteousness we were foolish we were disobedience we were led astray so we were not saved by our righteousness but according to his own mercy Now, what's mercy? Grace means you get something you don't deserve. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. See, because of our disobedience and our foolishness, our slave to various passions, we deserve eternal hell. But according to God's mercy, he did not give us what we deserved. And how did he reclaim us? by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Those are Jesus' own words to the disciples. Go and make disciples. How? Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you are baptized, you become a part of the family of God by that washing of regeneration. So that, verse 7, being justified by his grace. You see, we are not justified by our works. We sometimes use the word justified like somebody will say, why did you go over the speed limit? And you'll say, Well, I was justified in doing that because I had my wife in the car. She was pregnant and about ready to give a birth. In fact, you hear a lot of times the police pulling someone over. Then when they find out of those circumstances, they lead the way to the hospital with their sirens on. So we consider ourselves justified when we have a good reason for doing what we're doing. But we have no good reasons as unbelievers for doing any good works except self-interest. So now we're justified by God's grace. So we got his mercy, which means that's why we were baptized. We did not receive what we deserved, eternal hell. We received eternal life because we were justified by his grace. Now, grace is God's attitude toward us in the sense that he loves us and he is going to give us what we don't deserve. And what was that? The forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness. That's what it means being justified by his grace so we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, what's an heir? Well, an heir is maybe a child of a parent who receives something in the will after the parent dies. To be an heir means we receive also. After Jesus died, but he rose again, certain benefits, the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, heaven as our eternal home, and a number of promises that take care of us while we are here on earth. And verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. Now, that's just another way of saying that's something that we can believe in. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, isn't that interesting? The passage begins by saying that we didn't become righteous because of our works. And then the passage ends by encouraging us to be devoteful to good works. What's going on here? I thought good works can't save you. Well, think of a family. Uh, A child gets adopted. Maybe the child is two months old. The child has done no good work to be adopted. It's alive but I've been involved with adoptions of children from overseas, and the parents-to-be haven't even met them yet. They may have a picture of them, a photo, but not until they get adopted do they receive them in the United States. Now, no good work did that child do to get adopted. But once a child is adopted then they are careful to devote themselves to the good works in the family. What would be a good work? Wearing the clothes that they're given, sleeping in the bed that they're given, coming to the meals that are prepared for them, and maybe doing certain errands in the house. These are good works, but they don't make the child adopted They are consequences of having been adopted. So that's why Paul is telling to Titus, you know, we got to be members of the family, but not because of our good works, because they were disobedience. They were slaves to various passions and pleasures. But then the Holy Spirit came to us and gave us new life. This is a wonderful epiphany passage because it explains what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we're going to continue with that epiphany theme on Monday's Long Gospel where we look at another passage about Jesus. Till then, God bless.